by the name of the Lord is a strong, strong tower. And the righteous run therein, and they hide. That's what we're doing this morning. We've run right in this place, and we're in God's pavilion. We are hid from the devil's territory this morning. Hallelujah. And the righteous run in and hide in the Lord. Feels good to just be in the, in the what we call the sanctuary of the Lord. His covering. Does everybody feel his covering here this morning? I feel like we're covered by the goodness of the Lord and his greatness. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to speak the word for a while. And uh, Lord, encourage us and help us. I want to go to um, such a favorite spot that we don't even need probably to turn there. But I just want to take part of the Lord's Prayer this morning. I've been preaching about the rabbi. It's kind of just, it's changed some things sort of in my life, how I view the closeness of the Lord. I mean, there's all kind of descriptions of the Lord. and We just sang a song, Oh, How He Loves Us. But sometimes certain aspects that we see in the Scripture begin to teach us just sort of a different view. Not of who the Lord is. He is who He is. But of how we see Him. Remember the, the man that said, and, and the Lord told him, uh, take this money, gave to his servants, and the man hid it. And then he brought it back and said, I knew that you were an austere man that reaps where he does not sow, and I was afraid. And he was so afraid of the Lord that he didn't even follow the directions. I mean, that's, that's not very brilliant. But his perception of the Lord hindered his life. Because how he saw the Lord was not right. I think we're not careful sometimes how we perceive the Lord, you know. It kind of brought down to us, maybe Grandma saw the Lord this way, or, you know, some of the people we used to know, maybe a preacher that we knew years ago. And, and But I realized some time ago, and, and I'm on this quest, and I think a lot of you are on it with me, the Lord's got more revelation here than what we can exhaust. I found this preacher that I'm watching now, and I'm going to use some of his stuff, sorry. Uh, nothing is, is, we don't make anything up. It's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. So all revelation comes from the Lord, but, but, um, when God just kind of opens some stuff to your life, it, it just clarifies some things in you, and, and you're able to see a little clearer, a little better. Uh, maybe you're sometimes in prayer. Now, I'm just kind of rambling here for a minute, but in prayer, sometimes we just ramble, right? We just, or maybe maybe in habit. And the Lord said, don't pray like habit. 
like the heathen do. They just keep chanting over and over and over. I said, don't pray like that. And, and so, but what changes that up is just we get just a little different view, a little different thought. It kind of changes it up for us a little bit. And, uh, and I tell Kay this, and, and, and uh, I, I really, I'm, I'm fooling around when I say this, but I like to keep our relationship fresh. And uh, some of you are kind of giggling because you know what I mean by that. But Our relationship with the Lord needs to be fresh. So current, so right now. That it's not, you know, back when I got saved years ago, and that's great and awesome, and thank the Lord for it, but right now, today, I need this freshness with the Lord. Can you say amen to that? And, and so that's where we're at, that's where we try and stay at, where we try and work out of. And uh, so we're going to read a, a, a real repetitious thing here. And I'm sorry, all I've got is this book. And I'd really love to come to you with a whole bunch of different things, but I'm staying in this book. A lot of pastors are coming with different, I'm staying in this book. And so you must say, I've heard that before. Oh, good. I'll hear it again this morning. And uh, glean something even better. Matthew, the sixth chapter and the, the, the ninth verse. And you know this. And therefore... You should pray this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, which art in heaven, let sanctified be your name. Hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Let your will be done. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And I'm just going to stop there. I mean, it's something I pray every day of my life. If the Lord gave us an outline of a prayer, why would we think that something else would be better? Can I get an amen right there? It's, that's our way, though. <laughs> I, sometimes I don't follow the Lord's way in His direction, and I just end up, you know, getting it all wrong. And then I looked and I said, you know, the Lord was right all the time. And I thought I'd outsmarted him. I mean, that's, that's really, watch that. Don't think you can outsmart the Lord. He set up this prayer. He set up this. And somebody said, well, that was before the cross. And so the prayer after the cross. But yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit in a sense. But we'll talk about that a little bit uh, this morning. Amen. Lord, we just bless you now. As we come this morning, I'll pray. We just come to your feet. What can we do better, Lord, than sit at your feet? And, and it's where your word is. It's coming out of your mouth, Lord. But, but Mary, who came to sit at your feet to hear what you had to say, Lord, I pray that we will hear what you have to say this morning at your word. And, Lord, we're just repeating it. We're just bringing it. I pray an anointing will come on it. Because if an anointing comes on it, Lord, it will really speak to our spirit. And we pray that you would just establish it in our hearts, Jesus. Amen. 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 I think probably the most elementary thing is that God owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. 
there's nothing that does not belong to him. He made all things. What's the old scripture say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. The planets, the stars, the universes, the, the oceans wide, the, the elements of the world. The animal kingdom, the bug kingdom of the world, the down to the very atoms. They belong to the Lord. There's nothing that does not belong to Him. So when Jesus says this directive, Thy kingdom come, it, it almost seems kind of foreign, and especially to the Jews of that day, thy kingdom come, sounds like that we need to pray this way because maybe his kingdom won't come or maybe his kingdom is not here, And but God owns it all, certainly wouldn't his kingdom already be intact But what I see about the kingdom and what I see about us and us in the kingdom, and where Jesus speaks this, the kingdom has not yet come. For 4,000 years, there has been a development to bring humanity to the place of being God's chosen people and the kingdom of God. God directed that through the Jews. He directed it through the ancients. And then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons, the sons of Israel, the establishment of Israel, the wars, the times of captivity, the, the kings that were there that arose. David, what about David? You know, and, and it isn't the kingdom of God already intact. Why do we need to pray thy kingdom come? Last week we talked about Solomon where Jesus said one greater than Solomon is here. I'm here. And Solomon was a great man and a great king and did a lot for the people of Israel and the chosen of God. But, but yet the kingdom of God had not arrived. It just doesn't seem possible that through all of these years and through all the effort and, and all of the things that happened to them and through them and with them, that God wasn't developing that as His kingdom. If Jesus said, pray that my kingdom comes, then His kingdom is not there. It's a simple deduction. He didn't say, pray for the kingdom that that there would be a new reviving and refreshing in the kingdom. He said, pray, thy kingdom come, Lord God. Thy will be done, Lord God, on earth. But we've already got a kingdom. Paul does this in a, in a metaphorically, with um, Isaac 
and Isaac being the promise of God, and then Ishmael and Hagar uh, being that which was instituted in the flesh. And But yet Abraham was willing to just go with the flesh. His kingdom had come. He developed the, something in the flesh. But God said, no, that's not the kingdom. But that's my son. Well, but the kingdom hasn't come yet. And so the earthly kingdom of Judaism can't even be established until, and, and, and Paul said that, that that is, Hagar is an example of the flesh and that, and that Sarah is going to bring forth. But yet in that moment, it seemed like God's kingdom had already come, but it had not come. And so the Lord looking at these people, and, and can you imagine, they, they really believe, and they pull out the Scriptures, and they read it, and they believe that they are the kingdom of God. And, and now I offer to you this today. I like the Hebrew people. Is everybody okay with Hebrew people? We're not anti-Semitic here, right? We love them. They are not the kingdom of God. And I would get churched for that. I'm telling you, if I was preaching in 99.9% .9 of the, the American churches, they'd shut my mic off right now. I'm serious about that. I don't care where you go with with all the different churches and theologies that are out there, one thing they believe is that Israel is the chosen of God. And so we come to this, but I love the, the, the Jewish people, and God did work, and God did, but, but we know this. Brother Dustin said this the other day because years ago I used this terminology, and it seems kind of frivolous, that, that Judaism and the kingdom there was no more than the bus driver to get Jesus to us. It used that word pedagogue, which just means that it's someone who trains and brings this child up to presentation time. And, and so it delivered. It did what God intended for it to do, and he had to use somebody, and he used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his kin and all of them, and he used them because God had to use somebody to bring, and he used Mary, who was a daughter of David, and he had to use somebody to bring this thing into the earthly realm. But it wasn't about them. It was about him. Amen. So, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done. The will of God is that his kingdom comes to fruition in the earth. And so the disciples don't understand this. The Jewish people don't understand this. They've been with him all these years, and he's ministered to them and, and told them so many things about the kingdom. And here is their final answer to the kingdom. Here it is, final answer. Book of Acts, first chapter, sixth verse. Jesus, just before he's ready to ascend into heaven, they ask him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? That's their final question. I mean, goodness, they just, it, it just can't get it. They just don't understand that the kingdom is not of this world. 
and it's taking them back. And so the Lord, he, he says, listen, don't, don't worry about times and seasons which are in the Father's hand. Don't worry about those things, but you tarry in Jerusalem until something is going to happen that is kingdom-wise. Really, his answer to them is about the kingdom. But they don't know it. What they're looking for is if we could just get this old thing fixed up, if we could get temple worship the way it's supposed to be. Lord, I know you went in there with a whip and you chased them out, but, but now if we could just get it straightened up, it's going to be glorious if the priesthood will straighten up and, and they'll act right. And if they'll do the right things in the high priesthood and we can get this going again with God in His presence and they go into the Holy of Holies and they're, they're going to sacrifice again and it's just going to be good. They're sacrificing for the nation and we're going to go down every year and we're going to give a lamb for the Passover. It's going to be a great time. The Jewish government's going to spring back up and Lord, just deliver us out of the hand of the Romans and make us back to where we can govern ourselves. This is what God's will is for us and and the Lord is like, no, none of that. He's doing away with the temple. He's doing away with the priesthood. He is doing away with the Jewish government. See, he's already told them. You remember this. He's already told them. He's in, in, in the metaphor of the, of, of the garment, it had a rip in it, and of the wine uh, skin. I'm not pouring new wine into an old thing. I'm not doing that. See, that's called revival. Jesus didn't come to bring revival. He came to bring a kingdom. And I'm not sewing up a tear in an old garment because if I do that, it's just going to rip worse. And this thing is going to burst anyway. And, and all the preciousness that I bring is just going to spill out on the ground. It's, but I'm bringing a new thing. And, and so if we can this morning, if we can just divide. And I know that, you, you know, we preach this way. And so you understand this. We divide the old. And we look at the old. And it, and it was great. And it was a covenant. And it, it did its course. It ran its course. God used it. But then we get to the new. And the new... It's not the old fixed up. The new is a whole different, fresh kingdom that is in a different order. It's under a different structure. It doesn't look like jewelry. It looks like something else that God is ordaining. It looks like the last three years that Jesus spent with his disciples, and it's called the rabbi and his students, or the rabbi and his servants, that is what God has designed. That's how it should look. That's the thing that should come out of this. They don't understand it yet, but that's what God has designed in the new kingdom. See, in the old kingdom, there was no such thing. There was no such model. It was the high priest, and he walked around pompous. He walked around like he was untouchable. Remember, Jesus said a man was, was, was laying in the ditch. And the priests, they walk around a different way. They don't want to dirty their hands. They walk with their nose in the air. They've got to a place where they think that the system is greater than the Lord. And God is not going to use that system. He's not going back to it. 
The church is at fault for going back there. God did not design that it should ever go backwards back into the old kingdom because he's got something that's so much greater than an old kingdom. Something, he said, the greater than the old temple, the old tabernacle is standing here in your midst right now. You may not see it. You may not understand it. You may have to come into it. But listen, these last three years, and so I'm seeing the rabbi, and I'm seeing his disciples, his students, his, his beloved brethren. They're more than just servants. Can you say amen? But they are servants, but they're more than that. They, they are attached to him. They're attached to him as not only the leader, but, but sort of their provider. He becomes everything to them. They... They don't go out without him. They don't try and minister things without him. He, he's everything to them. He's their teacher. They are learning. They're not learning outside of him. They're not, they're not putting their faith in things outside of him, but they are trusting completely in him, not a distant relationship with a God that they don't know. That's the old kingdom. Oh, yeah, they've got it together as far as kings and priests and, and their whole ec economic system and all that. They've got all that together. They just don't know him. He's a stranger to them. And whenever he shows, they still don't know who he is. He came to his own. And really, if you look at that, the, the, the Greek setting there, it, it reads it this way. He came into his own things. He owned that thing. And they don't know who he is. That's what an old system produced. It finally got to the place where it had no idea who Yahweh God was. Like somebody said recently, wouldn't even say his name and still don't. And... It's, it's terrible how things regress from what God intended for it to be. So now we have a godless kingdom, and we have a kingdom that's getting ready to be set into place. And I love this kingdom because this kingdom is one where the rabbi and the servant are up close together. They know each other. The problem, and, and one of the prophecies in the, in, the, in the Old Testament said, and you won't have to tell each one teach his brother because each one will know the Lord himself. That doesn't happen in the Old Covenant. You're going to have to go through a priest, through a prophet, through, through somebody else because you don't have that kind of access to God. But come a new covenant, a new covenant is not going to look like that. A new covenant is going to be personal. Does everybody understand what I'm saying this morning? That this covenant isn't a God that's afar off. He's a God that's up close. And so I love this. John says at the end of this thing, we touched him. We handled him. 
There were times they put their arm around him and he put his arm around them. We heard him speak. We, it's the word of life. We, we know who he is. So much different than what happened in an Old Testament where nobody got up and said that. Nobody had a witness of that. There was no way that they knew God in that way. But God, Emmanuel, God with us, was going to form a new relationship and a new kingdom that had nothing to do with the confines of an Old Testament kingdom. There's a lot of folks that want to take us back there. And thank God, I say this, I'm not going back. If you go back, you're going on your own. I'm not going back there, and I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm, I'm keep on going on with the Lord. And so the Lord many times, He rebukes His disciples because they want to make His kingdom an earthly order. Do you remember that? He said, you're acting like the nations now. You're, you're seeing things as a kingdom of the nations. My kingdom isn't about that. It's not, it's not about that kind of government. And so this picture that's being painted of the Lord... It's being painted of an Old Testament God that's sitting somewhere out there on a throne and you don't have hardly any access at all to get there and you've got to take the steps through the ladder. You come through the sun, you get to the Spirit, you get through Mary, you get through the angels, whatever it is, and finally you get to the throne room. Listen, that business is over. The only one you have to get to now is the rabbi. That's as far as you go. That's the one. The close one. The one that's near us, around us. So he rebukes his disciples because they want to frame this thing back into an earthly order again. And Jesus never intended a kingdom where a, the king himself sits on a throne and the peasants are removed from his presence and, and they only can come in in certain protocol and at certain times. The Lord never intended that. And also have written down here, neither did he instruct the apostles to develop a system of authoritarians and call it church. That's a blaspheme to his kingdom. Organizations and denominations that have done that are blaspheming the kingdom. That is not his design. It never was. What? He's going to go away, sit on a throne somewhere, and raise up authoritarians in the church to rule over people. He never designed that. That's not from him. And it's not God-mandate. The elections are not God-mandate. The men that are in place are not God-mandate. He doesn't do that. That's not his kingdom. That's a kingdom that looks like the world. He didn't come to give us that kingdom. We already had that. They were already working in that. Up to their eyeballs in that mess. He'd come to give us another kingdom. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so I'm, I'm going to go to the 16th chapter of Matthew into another place that's so familiar, but the Lord was kind of showing me some stuff on here. So if you go with me to the 16th chapter, and uh, we're going to study this, this segment portion for just a few minutes. Um, begin it. Hold the 13th verse. The 13th verse. 
Matthew. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, uh, verse 13. And so, just like the Lord does, there's a lot of stuff in here that we've just brushed over. How many has ever read this at least 10 times? 20, 30, 50, 100. I probably go way past that. Many of you are way past that. But walking through the field, we didn't see the treasure. And so, we're going to walk through it a little slower this morning. Is that okay? So, we'll stop. The, we, we were sprinting through there, and now we're going to slow way down. There's some things in here about his kingdom. There's some things in here about his order that he delivers to his disciples. And it's interesting how he, he sort of frames this thing. And they come to Caesarea Philippi. And it's at Caesarea Philippi that he asks them, whom do men say that I am? Now, the Lord doesn't do anything by chance, right? Oh, it just popped in his head one day, and they just happened to be in Caesarea Philippi, and, and he, he just, wow, this is a good time to ask a question. No, it's all planned. See, Caesarea Philippi is a place where the god Pan, the Greek god Pan, is worshipped. Does everybody know who the Greek god Pan is? He's the guy that's got the goat on the bottom and the man on the top. Weird mythology guy. So if you've been in school, you've probably noticed him. And somebody, you know, in the archives there brought it up. And anyway, pan worship is just demon worship. And again, it's no wonder that people that came and fell down before the Lord, many of them, he had cast demons out of them. There was a lot of demon worship. That's demon worship. You begin demon worship and you're going to get a demon. I wonder about some of these people that are in the smoke and lights and, and the loud thumping music saying things that they're not maybe not getting the right spirit in them. I think there's some of them that need some devils cast out of them. Can you say amen? And so... Pan is here. There's a, I, I did this before, and I, I think I showed it because I brought the picture up. There's a, a grotto. It's like a cavern in the earth there at Caesarea Philippi, and it's a hole that goes into a mountain. It's an opening cave, and in that mountain, the water goes down. They're like... It's a hole. They don't understand what it is. So they think that it's an entrance to hell. And what they call it is the gates of hell. And so in this backdrop, the Lord begins to say to them, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? Now, you need to, there's some key words in here. One of them is the Son of Man. So if you're writing anything down and you want to underline something in your Bible, it's okay. Uh, the Lord won't be mad if you underline something. The Son of Man is one of the key words here. And I think it's worded this way because are intentional. Um, and so we're going to read just a little bit in here, though. In this backdrop, they're at Caesarea Philippi. Who do men say that I am? I, the Son of Man. And they said, some say, John the Baptist, Elijah. Jeremiah, one of the prophets. See, they believe in reincarnation. 
I told you that last week. The Jews have got a mess. It's no wonder that the system has just failed them. So it's no wonder that the Lord's bringing in a new kingdom. Can you say amen? And so Simon Peter begins to answer, and and what he says is, um, and who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered unto him, blessed are you, son of our Jonah, for underline this, flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you. And on this rock I will build my church. Now, if you know anything about the church, the church is just another word for the kingdom. It's just another parallel of the kingdom of God. He could have said in the Lord's Prayer, thy church come. As we think of churches as individual, we got a church here and then down the street there's one and across and over and there's you know, a lot of churches around and we think of churches as individual. The Lord doesn't think of them as individual. He thinks of them as His church. And, and so He's going to build upon the declaration of what Peter said. And then so he's talking about church, and he'll go further with it because <clears throat> church and, and kingdom are the synonymous. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall occur, having already been bound in heaven. Now, people take this out of context. I think King James reads it differently. But it's something that's already established in his kingdom. That's what's going to come to pass. We're going to bind things. There's, there's, a, there's a, and now I'm going to call him a brother loosely. He gets up every Sunday morning. I'm going to loose this and that. I'm going to loose. One day he got up and loosed a spirit of death. And I'm like, are we in the right church? Spirit of death? I'm going to loose the spirit of death on people? No, 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 no. What you are either loosing or binding is something that God has already bound or loosed. It's not something that you're making up. You know, I'm loosing prosperity over everybody. Well, good luck. Because God hasn't designed it that way, right? I'm binding this and I'm binding that and I'm binding the other. You've got no power to bind except what God has already bound in His kingdom. So, boy, this is, you know, he just handed Peter just a blank sheet of, you know, a blank check. Just fill it out, Peter, whatever you want to do. You just bind people, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do. No, no, that is not it at all. He has a kingdom design. Can you say amen? He has this kingdom design, and so I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And then <clears throat> he warns his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he is Jesus the Christ. Somebody needs to tell John Hagee this scripture. He doesn't know it. Jesus is the Christ. Can you say amen? So, well, the Jews know they, had a, they need another Christ. No, the, the only other Christ is some devil. Jesus is the Christ. And so now we have, what do we have? We have church. We have what the Lord is going to build on, the proclamation that He is the, the living Son of God. We've got that. We've got the kingdom now, and we've got that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. And so from that time, He begins to show His disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer. Okay. The kingdom is not going to come in unless he does this. And so immediately going from, you haven't received this of flesh and blood, Peter goes back into the realm of receiving things out of flesh and blood. I'm going to tell you something that I saw in this. The devil's mind and the carnal mind, they run pretty close together. They think, well, no, I, I'm just, you know, it's just the way I see things. I'm going to tell you what, the carnal mind is influenced by the devil. The spiritual mind is not. That's why if you walk in the spirit, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? Amen. And so the devil is influencing the carnal mind. He's not influencing the spiritual mind. So Peter has seen something that come out of heaven to him that flesh and blood did not reveal to him and that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when Jesus begins to talk about what is essential for the kingdom to come in, Peter gets in his flesh mind. And when he gets in his flesh mind, he is influenced by the devil. Satan, get thee behind me. <laughs> Didn't he say that in the wilderness? And he did for a season. Jesus always knew real quick the voice of the devil. And when he hears it, it's not so much that he's calling Peter Satan. is what he is doing is saying that you have been influenced now. You had a spiritual thing going. Now you have a carnal thing going. And the devil is going to influence the carnal thing in your life. And it's always going to be contrary to the kingdom of God. That's why your carnal mind cannot please God. And we've been preaching, you know, get our, get our whole carnal thing, uh, you know, in line, and God's going to be pleased. No. The carnal mind cannot even understand the things of God. And so, Peter, I love him. Do you love Peter? Say amen. Do you believe that Peter is Satan? Neither did Jesus. What he's saying to him is that you are buying into the influence of Satan in your life. And when you try and do anything opposite of what God has designed for the kingdom, you're working in Satan's camp. Now, I don't want to say too harshly this morning, but there's a lot of pastors and preachers who are working in Satan's camp. But they say Jesus. So did Peter. Be the thing is, it's working opposite of what God has designed for the kingdom. And when we work opposite of what God has designed for the kingdom, we are being influenced by the one who wants to destroy the kingdom of God. So when we look at all these men who have set up their self in places that are working opposite of what God intended for the kingdom, they're going to get the same rebuke that Peter did. Even though they think they are high and lofty, the Lord would say to them, Satan, you shut your mouth and get behind me. Is everybody happy? Say amen. All right. Let's go on a little bit. And so, and so now it closes, and we're going to close this, this chapter up, it says, uh, or this segment in chapter. And uh, Jesus said, if anyone desires to follow after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And if not, 
Go on back to what you're doing. For what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Now, we're still talking about the kingdom. Our kingdom and God's kingdom. What is it going to benefit you if your kingdom goes to the top? You always wanted to be rich. You always wanted to have this and that and the other, and, and, and you get there. What benefit is, is that when you look at the kingdom of God and just being a part of the kingdom of God is so much greater than being the king of your own kingdom and having everything your way and the way you wanted it, it's better to have, David said it this way, he, he was the king of everything. And he said he, he just wanted to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. See, because God's kingdom is so much greater than ours. Can he say amen? Thy kingdom come, Lord, thy will be done. And so I want to read this down here. For the Son of Man is about to come in the glory of his Father. With his angels he will give reward to each according to his works. Truly I say unto you, listen to this, there are some standing here who in no way will taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And there's still those that believe that the Lord's going to bring His kingdom in in rapture. And that we're coming back to the earth and God's going to set up His kingdom. No, they, they, they don't even have the ability to read. There's some of you that are here right now that you're not going to die until come to fullness. And so really this whole little segment, it's not about just Peter's declaration, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a setup of what God is going to do in His kingdom, what the Lord is going to, to do. And I believe this Son of Man talk, it connects. See, the Son of God, we believe totally that Jesus is the Son of God, but He keeps addressing Himself as the Son of Man. And the reason why he's doing that is because the Son of Man is the rabbi, physical rabbi. You can see him, you can touch him, you can handle him, you can hear him. He is the physical manifestation, Emmanuel, God with us. That's the Son of Man. He's tangible. He's something that we can see, something that we can know. He's a personality that we can, we can come to know and to understand and so he keeps calling himself the son of man because this new kingdom is going to look exactly like that it's going to look like the rabbi and his students it's going to look like jesus christ and teaching his disciple apostles that is the format of the new kingdom the format of the new kingdom is not a king sitting somewhere off in glory. It's a rabbi who is down close with us. He's ever with us. He's ever abiding with us. He's not removed. He's not gone off. He is here with us, and we are his servants and his students in his kingdom. Can you see it? Can you see it? It's just easier to plug in to be person you don't have to know you don't have to just somehow you're just part of the church and but this thing about relationship I want you to know something about the Lord that you need to know about your own wife and I think you know this if you don't stay up daily on your relationship with each other it's going to fail come on somebody saying oh, no, wait a minute. 
you married people say, you better say amen. If you don't, it's already failing. I'll see you in council, right? Yeah. You have to keep the communication. See, this thing with God off in a throne room somewhere, it's good for us because we really don't have to keep communication with that. It's just, you know, he's up there and he knows, he sees, you know, but, but not the rabbi. You get up in the morning, the rabbi's there. You get up in the morning, you need to say, good morning, rabbi. We're going we're gonna to do this thing together today, and I'm going to walk before you, and you're going to be with me, and I'm going to travel with you. That's a whole lot different than an old kingdom where once in a while I'll bring in a sacrifice. Once in a while I'll bring a dove in. I'll bring a lamb in. But there's something about getting up every morning, and you've got to know that you're under his covering. You've got to know that you're not just going out there in the world, but God is with you, and you are with him. You're in the baptism. You are covered by your rabbi. That's a beautiful kingdom. This is what he intended for his church to be. Nothing more and nothing less. What has happened with the expansion of church has nothing to do with him. It's the carnal mind being influenced by the devil's world. Wow. I'm beginning to see it. It's slow. I was raised in church. How many of you were raised in church? Get your hand up there, Haley. You're looking at me. I just called her right out. So what I know is church. It's easy. Well, I've been raised in. That's what I know. So they did it and they did it. They handed it down to us and we done in church and that's, that's what we do. That's what we know. But church has become unrecognizable to the rabbi. He's not even welcome. What he's got to say won't be accepted. The teaching that he has as a rabbi for his disciples, not wanted. We've already got our system. It, and it's perfect because exactly what happened to the Jews. They start out with Abraham and look where they ended up. They ended up worshiping Pan and a lot of other gods. And that's what happens when the mental tries to connect the spiritual and the influence of the spirit of the wicked one gets in. He's going to try and dilute the kingdom so the, the kingdom is not even recognizable to what Jesus originally laid down. And I've been saying this, and I'm going to say it some more. We don't need to get fancier. We need to get simpler. We have strayed. We have strayed. Well, because of the masses and because so many people respond to it and they like it and, and uh, we just figure, well, that's, that's got to be right. But I was thinking, I was talking to the boys about this and there were no trappings in the early church. They didn't even have buildings in the early church. They went house to house. 
They met down at the synagogue when they could. They met by the river. These are all scriptural. They had no trappings. They had not much finances. But they turned, this is the report, not of them, but of the Jews. They have turned the world upside down. We're not turning the world upside down anymore. We're, we're, we're encouraging them to come in and be a part. Just come in. Come into the church. Be a part. Just oh, The doors are open. I had to turn off a song yesterday. It said, just come in. Um, there are no boundaries. There are no rules. I said, demon, you get off there. I'll shut that off. What do you mean there are no boundaries in the church? Of course there's boundaries in the church. How ridiculous. In the kingdom of God, there is boundaries in what's been set up. So the rabbi, what he does, his initial uh, institution, what he put in place originally, he brought down religious hierarchy. That's what he did. Somebody said, well, it almost looked like he attacked them. He did. He did. He said, you vipers. You whitewashed sepulchers. I mean, he called them out. He pointed his finger at the priesthood and said, you will die in your sin. And these men were considered to be sinless. And they presented themselves as this righteousness of God. And Jesus points it out. Listen, there's no hierarchy in the new kingdom. Somebody come with me right here. Sure, God has some pastors in there. Sure, Brother Dustin, he's got some five, what we call five-fold ministry in there. But they're not to be hierarchy. They are there to encourage the body of Christ so that we all may come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ in our life. They're not there to run people. They're not there to rule people. I don't want to run you. I don't want to rule you. You rule your own. You're the priest of your home, and you better get before the rabbi and find out what he wants in your life. I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm here to encourage the saints, and that's it. That's it. Get my hands off it. When we set up a system of hierarchy in the church, that did not come from the rabbi. He tore hierarchy down. He made mockery of men's religious rules. He defiled their rules on purpose, making sure they were looking. Because God didn't set that stuff up. He said, you won't enter the kingdom and you won't let anybody else enter the kingdom. What's going on in the church today? Come on. Setting up rules and protocol of all kinds and we need to lose the protocol. We need to get to the rabbi. Oh, he's got it all figured out. Can you say amen? He brought down money lovers. And now we're in trouble. Probably about 90% of church is about money. I'm sorry to say this, and I'm sorry to burst bubbles. It's about money. If you don't understand it, it's about building a bigger building so you can have more seats because more people in more seats represents more money. Well, that's not fair, Pastor. You know, we just want to build the kingdom. Oh, no, no, no. No. No, if we're wanting to build the kingdom, we're going to strip ourselves. 
and get back to what God wants us to be. Do we need money to operate and do the things? If we're going to have a building, we do. If we're going to support ministry, we do. But that's where it stops. This thing, the Lord's always talking about money. People are money hungry, and then, then the apostles get in there, and they talk about these, these fellow, they love money. If you have the love of money, the love of God is not synonymous in your life with the love of money, according to the rabbi. And then I just got one more. He, he, he attacks and brings down hypocrite worshipers. He doesn't like hypocrite worshipers. Either you're a true worshiper that worships him in spirit and truth or get out. Man, I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I'm just reaffirming what we need to know. Don't be fooled by this garbage. Don't be fooled by it. God's not taking false worship. He never has and he never will. Most of it comes through music. And that's been kind of set at me here this last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about the masses that are going into this, this whole music quandary that, that they put on the music and the lights and the sound and the thing, and the people are, oh, oh, and they all got their hands raised, and they all got tears coming out of their eyes. But it's a false worship. It's about the music. It's not about the rabbi. I'm sure he feels the same way today. Can you say amen? All right, we're at, we're at noon, so we've got to go. The coming of the fullness of the Pentecost was of major importance to the kingdom because the outpouring of Pentecost, somebody said, you know, we, we believe this. It was the birth of the church. Well, I think it was the entering of the kingdom, the design of the kingdom of God. Now, let me, let me just say this. Paul specifies, well, the script first, Luke says, each one of them was filled of the Holy Spirit. Each one. So if we're all sitting in this room, there was not any that weren't filled of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. We, I don't go into that preaching right now, but it's the Lord's Spirit. Can everybody say amen? And then on the day of Pentecost, when Peter is preaching the message, which Pastor Ron brought it just beautifully the other day. He brought some things I never thought about. But on that day, he says, repent, each one of you. Because even though the kingdom is going to be a collective, you don't get to be a disciple on the back of somebody else. You're going to press into this thing. Even though Judas was in the crowd, he didn't have a right relationship with Jesus. And even though he was there when they were healing and they were handing out bread and fish, even though he was right in the mix, he did not have a right relationship with the Lord. And it comes down to this. God's going to pour out His Spirit. He's going to establish His kingdom. But it is going to be every single one of us. You don't get to ride in on mom and dad. You don't get to ride in because you've been in church a long time. It's going to be a relationship with you and the Spirit of the Lord, which is the rabbi of us all. And so I'm going to cut this off. i got some more, but I'm, it's too late. It's too late. I just want you to know this this morning. We've got to strip away the garbage. 
And the man that wanted to build his house strong, what did he do? Started pulling out the layers. Garbage, filth, junk, layers of earth. So he could get down to build his house in the kingdom. Can you say amen? I want to admonish all of our younger people, all of our, hey, young married, those that are marrying age, those that are they're getting ready to build their lives. Don't build it on the sands of this world. There's a kingdom that will not end. There's a kingdom that's strong. It's a design of the Lord. And that kingdom is about the rabbi and his disciples. I just want to maintain and be a disciple of the Lord. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to shut down right now. It's 12 o'clock, and, and so, but I've got some more. We'll bring it. We've got time next week. We're okay. We're okay. We've got time next week. So, but I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. That relationship that you need to have. I mean, I love my wife, and I told somebody the other day that the devil comes knocking on the door and says, I'm going to take one of you. I learned this from an old preacher friend. The devil knocks on the door and says, I'm taking one of you. I'm saying, she's in there. You're not taking me. My experience with the Lord, my rabbi, can't be about her. Even though it will affect her life, it, it can't be about her and her, her relationship with the rabbi. That spirit of God which poured out was to each one of us. Can you say amen? This is beautiful. So, I belong to the rabbi. Sister Jen belongs to the rabbi. Brother Rick, you belong to the rabbi. Sister Haley that I picked on belongs to the rabbi. And all of us together do make up the kingdom. But individually, we belong to Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. That's what it's about. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you helped us, Lord, this morning. God, I, I hope I said something that just encouraged a heart somewhere, Lord, that focused a, a mind somewhere that, that, God, everything that you have designed is perfect. What we design doesn't work, Lord, but your kingdom is without end. And the reason why it is without end, you designed it to be perfect kingdom, Lord. So we're so thankful that we're just a part of that. We're thankful, Lord, that you're our rabbi. God, we honor you. We humble ourselves to you. You're teaching your word. And we forever, Lord, will hold you in greatest, highest esteem. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone said amen.